0: Hey guys, welcome to Startups of the Week, Season 3. I'm Sophia Kanthara, and I'm here with Owen Thomas. Hey there. And Alex Wilhelm. Hey guys. And this week, we'll tell you about a company that lets you take an EKG anywhere you are, a company that makes the process of buying or selling a used car easier, and a company that was just acquired by Zendesk. That's all coming up on Startups of the Week. First up, we have SHIFT which is a company that's like a concierge service that helps make the process of buying and selling a used car easier. Um, So if you're buying a used car, a shift concierge will bring a car to you for a test drive. They'll answer your questions. Um, They do a 150 point inspection. Um, And if the buyer decides that they want to actually buy the car, then they handle all the paperwork and just make that really seamless for you.
1: This all sounds sounds really good. (laughs) Oh, and you go. Uh,
2: I was going to say... um, I mean, that that sounds really great. It's kind of, you know, a white glove service for used car buying, which has almost a comically bad reputation. Uh, And it kind of caters to the on demand, bring everything to me on my terms, uh, app culture that uh, that we are bringing to the millennials and Gen Zers of the world. Uh, what's the downside? I, I'm, I'm curious if these concierges are actually employees or if they're independent contractors. Did you dig into that, Sophia?
0: Um, so that's a little unclear to me right now, but they... You know, they're, what they market themselves are as is, you know, they try to make the process of buying and selling a used car easier on people. Um, so the company will handle things. If you're trying to sell your used car, they'll handle the listing. They'll handle, like, they'll get you a price really quick um, at a fair market price. And then they'll handle, you know, what I think is the coolest part is they handle all the paperwork, um, which I know is one of the biggest hurdles when it comes to either buying or selling your used car because a lot of people haven't done that before.
1: Yeah, not just that. I'm curious about price because this all sounds fantastic. Who wouldn't want to have someone else handle the paperwork or handle the inspection or handle the test driving? But I wonder what you pay for that because the margin has to come from somewhere. And if the company isn't charging a pretty penny for that right now, they could kind of die because last year, I think it was 2017, a company called Beepy uh Beepi raised a bunch of money trying to work on a kind of a P2P used car marketplace and it, it kind of famously failed after raising like 150 million dollars um so when i hear about used cars i'm always very concerned about like where does the margin come from because it's a really expensive and hard space to work in even though as we all agree it's it's huge it's just you know not exactly easy to to break into and not die in
0: Right, and right now they're um, mostly they're in, in markets around California, so it's in L.A., San Diego, San Francisco, San Jose, um, in London Empire. Um, so I'd be curious to see like where else they would be expanding to right now.
1: Well, they raised a bunch of money, right? Yes.
0: So they just got a round of Series D funding, about $140 million.
1: That's an enormous amount of money. Oh, and are you surprised that they can raise that much for what a company
2: is? just kind of, kind of connecting buyers and sellers for one product? Well, it seems like that, what that tells us is that the unit economics, which is a fancy... The term venture capitalists use for whether they make money on every transaction, the unit economics must be pretty good. And I checked on their uh job hiring site uh lever. It looks like Shift is actually hiring full time, it sounds like employees to be concierges. And so, oh, so wow. that's obviously going to involve a little more expense on the um on the human capital side. It means that it's a little harder for them to scale up or down. But what other service companies found is that when you go with independent contractors, one of the problems is, is that the rules for contractors are you can't really tell them like what to do, how to dress. Like you're just paying them for the job. So if Shift is really trying to sell this like consistent experience, um, then I think they, you know, it makes sense for them to go the employee route. So they've raised money against that. Not in considerable cost, yeah. Uh, but I think you know, I think they uh, hopefully know what they're doing in uh, in rolling out market by market. What you usually see is that a company like this proves it out in like one city, one market at a time, and then they you know then they expand, expand, expand with the additional money raised.
1: Right, you prove the unit economics say in San Francisco, and then you expand to Sacramento, San Diego, L.A., and all of that. Yeah, but uh, there's a little bit of, of heat in the space though. So aside from BP dying last year, a company called CarGurus uh, recently went public and they were in a, another kind of like uh, alternative space to buy cars. And I think CarGurus also works with used cars. So there's a number of companies trying to innovate in this space. I guess it's kind of what Sophia said. It's just so terrible and awful that maybe there's a lot of room for improvement and enough to, I, I suppose, support a number of companies because you know CarGurus was worth well north of a billion Uh, wouldn't have been public. And that was last October, I think. So, you know, roughly 11 months ago, but that's pretty recent in economic terms.
2: I I hate to press the Owen history button again.
0: Owen history button activated.
2: What the heck is going on? This reminds me actually of some companies uh, that I've written about in the dot-com boom. Um, it, It you know, it's some com- there was some company like this that raised just an ungodly amount of money to essentially run a used car marketplace, and of course they went up in flames. But it shows you that an idea like this um, you know, is worth coming back to. Maybe you know, in, in the 1999 when everyone's on dial-up modems, this idea doesn't really make sense. But now when you essentially not just can do everything on your phone and you expect to do everything on your phone, um, and, the con- you know, you can see where the concierge's location is as they bring the car to you. Features like that, I imagine, um, you know, I imagine that shift is already has or is exploring. Um, something like this can make sense. Well, they certainly have the money now to pursue whatever
1: they want. So I guess we'll have to check back in, in like six, nine, 12 months and see how much they've grown. If they've added a bunch of markets, I'll be bullish.
0: Yeah. So our second company is Alive Core, which has been getting a lot of attention this week. Um, because they are in the business of, you know, anywhere you are, electrocardiograms.
2: So those are those are known as EKGs or it's basically a heart reading. So it's reading the state of your heart health. It's health hardware, which you know, we've seen Fitbit, for example, struggling a lot mm-hmm. in that broader category. But why are people why are people suddenly getting excited about a live core now? They've been around for several years, right, Sophia?
0: Yeah. So their products, which is their two major products, are um, a band that you could attach to your Apple Watch and a, another kind of device that you can sync up with your phone to do an EKG at home. But they've been getting attention because of actually last week, um, Apple announced that they are their new Apple Watch Series Four has an at-home built-in EKG.
2: So that's that sounds like bad news to me if Apple comes in and, and is competing directly with you, isn't that kind of death knell for a startup?
0: You know, so they're taking the approach, when I um, spoke to their chief commercial officer of, you know, this is good because they're saying like, well, first of all, more people are have access to, you know, this important health tool. Um, but also they said, you know, from a marketing perspective, there's two components, which is one, educating your audience and two, differentiating yourself um and he said now because apple has such a huge presence like more people are aware that of this the idea that you can do an ekg just from mm. your smartwatch um,
2: i i think that's great for about a week after after a competitor launches a similar product like you get a mm-hmm. little blip of attention but apple is going to be out there blasting commercials billboards you know mm-hmm. everywhere yeah. with, telling people about the apple watch and they're like Ten different reasons why you know you might want an Apple Watch, um, Alex. Weren't you looking at uh, at the new Apple Watch just to just so you could consume even more Twitter? Yeah.
1: So I have to admit that the, the new Apple Watch always sounds great when Apple talks about it at its keynotes, and then I kind of think about it for 24 hours, and then I don't buy one. So in this case, I kind of wonder how much I, of my health stuff I want to have bundled into my phone, you know, companion device, and so. I think I would be much more interested in EKG mobile device if I needed one, but I don't think I want one in my watch. And I'm curious how much space there is in the market for a hybrid device. And here's why. The Apple Watch isn't uh, cheap. It isn't wildly inexpensive. And that means it's going to be kind of a niche product. And so I would push back a little bit on what you said, Owen, because I wonder if this is going to drive a lot of demand for the watch. And if it doesn't, it's still going to not sell in quantities even close to being similar to a smartphone. So it's not going to suffocate a market because it's not going to be kind of a mass market product. That's kind of my impression. But, you know, a live court could always raise more money, you know, and then go on their own ad campaign. I, it's it's hard to say from this perspective, this early what's going to happen, but I think I'm not as anti-bullish as you are on the smaller uh chances.
2: Yeah, I just, I think they need to get out there and do some sustained marketing and not just, you know, not just like, talking to the press about how great their technology is, they need to really like market this to consumers. If they don't yeah. seize this opportunity they've been handed, um, they could rapidly see the blip of interest uh, dissipate, I think. Mm-hmm. Sure. But I mean, they, they leveraged it. I mean, like if you look up a LifeCore
1: now, there's a CNBC hit, I think. There's an article on TC. Now they're on this Chronicle podcast. I mean, people are talking about them and we weren't the week before, you know. So I hadn't actually heard of this company until it came up in our process. So my guess is this could be the biggest press cycle they've ever had. And for a startup, that can be a really big deal for moving product um, if you' are in a sales cycle. So maybe there's a silver lining in this relatively large cupertino shaped
0: cloud. <laughs> yeah, and they are making some so they did they are making some developments where they had a couple of you know bigger announcements this month. Um, one thing was they rolled out a new feature where they're able to use their technology, um, their artificial intelligence, to be able to detect um, elevated levels of potassium, which could indicate um, hyper- hyperkalemia. Um, and the FDA actually designated that as a breakthrough device because you're, they're able to detect that without any blood at all. Um, and then they also just this week announced that they – this hasn't been cleared by the FDA, FDA but they're using um, three electrodes to, to make a more kind of detailed, precise reading um, for their EKG.
1: I think that's awesome. The downside for me is whenever we talk about health products, I'm usually faking it. I don't really know what an EKG is for. I know it's a thing. Um, so when we talk about like improvements to the product or potassium, I'm so lost. The medical world is kind of this uh, a black box to me. But, you know, Owen, my question is, do you think there's any chance that doctor's offices will begin to kind of like pass these out to certain patients? Because that could drive a lot of adoption, especially if they can take on more than just heart health. I,
2: I think that's a great channel because clearly core is not going to compete with Apple for like billboard space. I think you need uh, doctors talking about this as, you know, a, a way that the patient can avoid coming in for an expensive uh, doctor's visit, like just... Hook this up, and um, you know, and you can share your data with uh, directly with the doctor um, in in a private, secure way. Right the the fact that Alive Core has multiple leads, I know enough about EKGs to tell you that the single lead approach um, that Apple is taking is it's kind of the cheap, easy way to do it but it is not very accurate um and Oh interesting. Yeah, so you know you know when you go to the doctor's office and get strapped up for an EKG they're putting like you know like it seems like a dozen leads on you.
0: Yeah, um, it's like 10 or 12. 10 somewhere.
2: or 12 and and you know Apple Apple can only take a single read a single reading. That's the technology that they have. So I if I were a live core um and the CEO there Vic Gondotra, is a well-known Valley fellow. He was Uh, At Google, he uh, led the big push behind Google Plus, so he knows what it's like to compete with a dominant player, Uh, in that case it was Google versus Facebook. I think a live core versus Apple will be uh, at least an entertaining fight to watch.
1: Yeah, and now we all know their name. So whenever they do something next, I'm sure we will
2: uh, bring them back up on the show.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well,
2: who do we have next, Sophia?
0: So our last startup of the week is we have Base, which was acquired recently by Zendesk.
2: So you're saying that this segment is all about the base? Owen Owen I thought we banned Musical based humor On the show You could
0: say that Um, So I'm
1: not supposed To sing right now
0: No please don't
1: (laughs) You're definitely Not supposed to sing Um,
0: But yes It was acquired this week By Zendesk For an undisclosed price Um, And their The acquisition is complete Base employees There's about 125 of them They're going to be Joining Zendesk um, At their office In San Francisco Next week actually
2: Yeah And And Sophia I asked you recently about where the executive um, you were talking to was, you know, because I, I actually wanted to know, could we get a photograph with him? Could we invite him on the podcast? And I understand we had a little logistical problem with that. Where was the Zendesk executive in charge of the base deal?
0: So he, it was actually in Poland when I spoke to him yesterday. Poland? Mm-hmm. Because Zendesk, ha- or sorry, not Zendesk, base has, um, you know, offices out there as well.
2: And that's actually a really good fit with Zendesk. Zendesk started in Copenhagen, they moved to Boston, and then they eventually settled in San Francisco, um, which is their headquarters. But they have uh, operations in Singapore, um, London, all over. Uh, they're a very kind of globally distributed company, even though they're not quite, um, you know, I think a little over a uh, thousand or so people worldwide, 900 people in um in San Francisco. So not the, you know, not the biggest company, but they can easily handle kind of absorbing a, uh, an international engineering office.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, when I was speaking to him, um, he was, or Matt, he was telling me, you know, this was just kind of a natural extension of what Zendesk already kind of, of what Zendesk does. Um, they have, like he said, about 130,000 customers worldwide. And, um he said this is a way for them to be able to serve their cust- help their customers help their customers in like every aspect.
2: Well, because Zendesk offers customer support software. That's at the heart of uh what they do. Um they are, you know, another example um of what I was talking about the other week about, you know, point solutions. Mm-hmm. Like They do one thing really well. Well, this is Zendesk trying to actually broaden out and say, hey, if we're running your customer support, that means you have customers. And don't you want to have something that helps you manage those customers, ideally in the same interface? Obviously, these are two separate products right now, um, but I think you're going to see integration uh, going forward. And the interesting thing is this really puts Zendesk up for a battle with its... um, you know, hometown giant competitor. Salesforce is the number one uh, player in web-based customer relationship management. Mm -hmm. And um, that's going to be a big thing, you know, uh, that's going to be a big, big competitor to tackle. Oh, yeah. But we'll see.
0: Well,
1: yeah, I, I just, I think that, you know, base by itself up against Salesforce doesn't seem like a very fair fight. Salesforce is worth tens of billions of dollars, and has you know the kind of mind share and market share in the CRM uh, space. But you know base plus Zendesk, I don't know. That that has some weight behind it. I pulled some data, and Zendesk is worth, um, as of kind of right now, $7.2 billion, which is not Salesforce level, but it's, I, I bet you a enormous multiple of what base was worth before this deal went through. So maybe with this new corporate backing, it can make a better crack at the market. That's, of course, if it survives, as Owen can tell us. A lot of companies that get bought end up getting dissolved, as opposed to um, held together as a you know concrete product of themselves.
2: Well, it sounds like they are putting a longtime uh, Zendesk executive, the fellow you spoke to, Sophia.
0: Yes, Matt Price.
2: Matt Price in charge of Base, so I think that's a good sign. There's someone who's trusted on the inside, and he's going to have this as his kind of like own territory to develop. Absolutely. Oh, I like that. There's going to be integration, no question. Um, I think in terms of the price, the fact that it was not disclosed. I mean, Zendesk's revenues are again not Salesforce level, but um, when the price of an acquisition is not disclosed, that generally means it is uh, what to use. You know, fancy accountant speak uh, is um, it's considered um, non-material, meaning it's so small that they don't even mm-hmm. have to tell their shareholders how much they spent on it, and. Right. Um, and Alex, you found a, an interesting pattern with their fundraising. Can you tell us about that? Yeah. So we were kind of looking through the base uh, history to figure out
1: what was going on and could we have almost predicted uh, this result, this exit to a larger corporation. And so looking through the data that we have, um, the company went through four funding rounds, raised a total of $53 million, well, $52.9 million. But critically, it hadn't raised since September of 2015, which is three years ago now, Right. That's a million years in the world of startups, and a lot of companies, really most, raise on a roughly eighteen-month cadence. You raise a big round, you invest it very quickly, you grow, you raise again. So if you if you've been on that cadence and you stop raising, that can often imply that you're having to struggle with growing your revenue, that you're struggling in the market, struggling to retain talent, having some sort of problem. And so to see that gap in their fundraising cycle and then see this exit isn't that surprising. It kind of fits together, if you will. And of course, when you're with private companies, you're always reaching in the dark. But here, I think it actually kind of makes pretty good sense looking at what we know about the company.
2: I mean, I think for Zendesk competing in the really fierce San Francisco talent market for engineers to be able to pick up a, a big engineering team in Krakow that, you know, they're Integrated. They're used to working with each other. They're used to working remotely, uh, reporting to uh, San Francisco headquarters. That in itself has a ton of value, and um, I can tell you from talking to Zendesk, that's kind of how they dealt with international growth. They, you know, they, for example, um, bought a company in Singapore to handle online chat, and they set that up as kind of its independent operation. So while they like to have a lot of kind of centralization in san francisco they set up these you know sort of semi-independent engineering groups in other cities and let them kind of take ownership of a specific product or or a specific feature and that's a smart way to run what would otherwise be a, a really complex international organization so you know i think it might be one of these things where um a really san francisco centric company uh that didn't have international offices um you know, would look at base and kind of struggle with that. But I think Zendesk would see it as something that really fits their existing organization. So it may just be that Zendesk was the right buyer here.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. For sure. And I don't want to go on too long about this one deal, but I will say that, you know, people always say, where's the liquidity? Where are the exits? This probably wasn't the exit that their investors were looking for. But
2: at a minimum, here is some M&A. Put it on the board. It's points no matter how you square it. And, you know, good for Zendesk. You know, it's, it's a reminder that it's not all about like, Facebook, Google, Apple, Salesforce buying, you know, buying these smaller companies that, you know, Zendesk is now big enough to be uh, an M&A player in its own right. So snaps to uh, snaps to Zendesk and its <laughs> Danish CEO, Mikkel Svane, <laughs> uh, very charming fellow. Um, and it uh, looks like he, he scored a good deal here.
0: Thank you for listening to Startups of the Week. If you enjoyed this podcast, please give us a rating and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Read more Startups coverage at sfchronicle.com.
1: And crunchbase.news.
0: I'm Sophia Kanthara.
2: I'm Owen Thomas. And I'm Alex Wilhelm.
0: And this is Startups of the Week.